0: There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. The Lead with Empower podcast keeps rolling along. We're rolling strong in season two. We've had some great guests, and our next our guest today is going to keep the streak alive. Today we have a gentleman who's been in the game of football for a very long time. He's currently a defensive analyst out at Wake Forest. He's a Xavier High School graduate. A couple of years before I got there, we won't. We don't have to divulge too much into the, the differences there. But Coach Jim Hoffer, like I said, he's with Wake Forest as a defensive an, uh, analyst. Coach, thank you for joining the Lead with Empower podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing
1: great, and I'm so glad to be with you.
0: Uh, we're glad to have you, and uh, you know, appreciate you're in the you know couple of weeks, few weeks into the season as far as competition. So I know this is a busy time. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, carving out a little bit of time to join us. Uh, it's, uh, it's a marathon, the football season, so I appreciate you finding a couple minutes for us today.
1: It's, it's really my pleasure. <laughs> so,
0: obviously, this year has been a little bit different um, for, for everybody. Before we get into anything, you know, as far as the leadership side of things, how are, uh, how are you? How's your, your family, the, the team, as far as the health standpoint? How's everybody doing so far?
1: Well, we're all doing fine. Uh, it has been the most unusual and unique year in college football, certainly in my lifetime. And I think probably in everybody's lifetime, what we've all gone through in 2020, uh, the word that keeps getting used is unprecedented, and it is. I mean, it's uh, we're, we're dealing with so many different uh, tragedies, on many different levels and we're all living through it and we're all trying to get through it. Um, and, and we're in the middle of a, you know, an election year, um, which just, you know, adds so much more and and ultimately too much controversy. And that's a conversation perhaps for another hour. That
0: might be episode two after the season's over.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, You know, but in this season, the greatest challenge for anybody who's playing, whether it's at the collegiate level, for those states that are allowing high school football to be played, and certainly in the NFL, and we're seeing it play out this week, is can you keep your players following COVID-19 protocols and giving your team its best chance to stay together and have your personnel make it From one week to the next and we're dealing with a an invisible enemy and so you just never know what lurks around the corner but what you can control is how you how you handle yourself with masks with your hygiene with your social distancing which all seem to be the things that work you know at such a high level but it's when you slip and you lose some self-discipline that's when it apparently can get you knock on wood, you know, we've been fortunate and, and uh, there's an agreement within the ACC, for instance, that uh, everybody who's involved on each one of the college football teams, the 14 in the league plus Notre Dame have to be tested three times a week. The third test has to be within 24 hours of the game, or the day before, I should say. It's typically not always 24 hours. And so you're, you're only as good as your last test. Yep. And uh, the amount of resources and, frankly, money that's being spent just to be able to advance on a day-to-day basis and get to a game, it's, it's staggering. And it's staggering for the universities, for the athletic departments. Um, But it's an important part to each one of these universities that's playing it at at any level that is playing, whether it's power five, whether it's the group of six, no matter who it is, it's an important part of so many lives. And we greatly appreciate what we're being allowed to do. And we're trying to do the best that we can with it. we're certain, we're healthy from a COVID standpoint. Very few teams are healthy from a football standpoint. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but you know, knowing the difference between an injury that prevents a player from playing, and simply the aches, pains, and um, and discomfort of playing, you know, uh, there's a difference. Uh, but we're probably with numbers as good as we can be now, having played three games.
0: Great. Great. Now, what it it at Wake are are there fans allowed at the game? Because every state's kind of a little different. You see it on Sundays with the NFL. What's the status of that at, at Wake? Well,
1: it's interesting. When we opened the season against Clemson, we could have the state at that time was under uh, a mandate that for any outdoor activity, you could not have more than fifty people. Wow. And we were under what was called. Uh, Oh, what was it called? You know, there was a 1.0, then there was a 2.0 as the governor was able to start to relax and open things. And he had actually gone to 2.5. And that's when we could have 50 people. Now, last weekend we played, and at 5 p.m. on Friday night uh, was, the, was the time period where, where the state could go to 3.0 which now allows in the state of North Carolina up to 7% of your stadium capacity. So that was last week. Um, So we could have 2,200 people verifiably allowed into the stadium. Um, And who knows what might happen as the season continues to clip along, but whether it's the Carolina Panthers with 7% of, of, their stadium and 7% of our stadium and the other schools that are playing football, uh, in the state of North Carolina, that's what we have to live with uh, for now. So it's been a, it's been a moving target. There's a lot of big cutout, uh, photos of, you know, who to help the university, they paid a fee to have their cutout be displayed and, uh, And now there's some of, some of our, you know, most prominent alums in and out of sports, you know, that have these big five foot placards. (laughs) It's kind of, it's really actually kind of cool.
0: It's interesting. I mean, watching the the Yankees get beat again last night, you know, you see all the cutouts in the stadium there. It's, It's, it adds to it for the television watcher, so I'm sure it's it, it's different for the athletes, but at least it seems like someone's there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does, and you're allowed to you're allowed to have artificial noise, and yeah. literally, the coaches have to agree, the head coaches have to agree during pregame, in a basically in a decibel check. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 nuts. Uh, never been like this before, but anyway. Hey, what the heck, right? I mean,
0: the, the good news is, and, and not every state's in the spot. Up here in Connecticut, high school football is still on standby. There's talk of a seven-on-seven. Seven, but, um, you know, it's good that it's back, and it's good that, you know, knock on wood, so far everybody's making the good decisions and, and keeping it keeping it rolling forward because we are starting to see it at the NFL level, at least some games get moved around and whatnot. What? So you touched on something early on about – you can control what you can control. And that's a phrase we, you know, in our work here at Empower, we throw it out, control the controllables. Everything else is getting in the way. You know, obviously, if you take away the the, the tragic, like the deaths from COVID and the, the serious illnesses from COVID, what do you hope your athletes are able to, you know, take from this situation just from a personal development, a human development standpoint that you feel will have a positive impact, lasting positive
1: impact on them after they leave Wake Forest? Well, they've certainly learned a lot about science and public health and how devastating um, an epidemic that becomes a pandemic can become. They have probably learned a great deal about empathy for people who Either get sick or have to be quarantined because they were close enough in an environment, and whether they and didn't become infected. We had a freshman player, you know. So everybody was allowed to come back at some point in June after having been away from the university since um, mid March, and we had an incoming freshman. Who, through no fault of his own, he just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, had a total of 49 quarantine days. Wow. Before we had even been able to play a game. Oh, my goodness. You know, so, you know, the, the, the your, your empathy for that young man who did nothing wrong other than, you know, maybe didn't have a mask on when he was supposed to. Or by the nature of having lived in a suite, that when it comes to contact tracing, it, you have to be able to prove you always had a mask on. Uh, you were never together for more than 15 minutes. And that's hard to do if you're living in a suite. So, yeah. you know, I, I think guys have learned an awful lot about uh, certainly tragedy. Yeah. They've learned an awful lot about uh, science and public health. Uh, And they've probably learned an awful lot about follow the rules and have some self-control and self-discipline. And the more you can do that and literally live in the moment and keep putting one foot in front of the other the right way, they get to do what they like to do truly, which is, you know, practice and play football.
0: That's great. I love that. You know, take that one step at a time, do it the right way, and, and the reward will be there, right? You That's have to right. have that. That's a great lesson right there because, especially now, everything is so immediate for us, right? Mm-hmm. It's on our phone immediately. It's an email popping through immediately. And you know, I think younger athletes, they think, oh, I can, I'm can. i a good athlete. I can show up and be the best and, and get a scholarship and maybe play professionally. It's the furthest thing from the truth. And, you know, that it really is the athletes that are able to say, I'm going to do it right, right now. And when that's over, I'm going to do it right, right the next time. And right. And that builds up. And before you know it, you have something, you know, great.
1: Yeah. They, these guys had to build some new habits. Yeah. You know, when we first started, now, you know, you can imagine, I know what it's like in Middletown in August and I know what it's like in Winston-Salem in August and, and guys had to, when we first got started before protocols, which were a moving target our guys had to have, you know, a face mask on under their helmets, yep. and and that's that's hard. And you know, then you start, you know, then a new advance comes with a face shield, and another contact tracing comes along. Where well, if you have your mouthpiece and your face mask or face shield, I mean, it was these got they listened and they have tried so hard to be able to, uh, you know, follow the rules, so yeah. to speak.
0: Great. What? Touch on it a little bit from the coaching staff standpoint, because you you just basically, like, and, and everybody, I think, is aware of this. You, you think it's going to be a certain way, and then it gets pulled out from underneath you, and there's a new standard. What were some of the leadership challenges from a, a staff standpoint that you guys had to overcome during the, and, and even now that you're probably still having to work through and overcome.
1: Well, I can, I can certainly tell you, and and you can imagine at the power five level in the ACC, there's a lot of staff. There's yeah. a lot of off the field, so to speak, non-coaching staff and the job that our, that our operations people have done literally that sets us up for a minute-by-minute agenda, itinerary, protocols, what to do, how to do it, uh, which began way back in the summertime. It is a, a logistical matrix, and these men and women just have done a fabulous job. The training staff and what they have to go through from five o'clock in the morning until when everything is done and all of the training, you know, that the health training is done for, for players at the end of a day or night, it's, it is mind boggling. Um, and, and the disinfecting of everything uh, it's, it's astonishing from a coaching standpoint, you know, what we've had to deal with in terms of meeting. We have a 178 seat, beautiful auditorium. Well, because of what the university's rules have had to be, we can have no more than 58 people in there. Well, right away, you can figure out, well, your team has more than 58. So you have to decide on a literally meeting by meeting basis who can use the auditorium in one group Who's going to have to Zoom that same meeting yeah. so that a singular message gets delivered? And now you multiply at times all of the breakout rooms, the position rooms, uh, where the coaches can have a live meeting with some, but they can't have all. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're, we're using facilities all across the spectrum of our facilities to to be able to get that done, and it, that takes logistics. Um, and our kids have just been—they've been, they've been I- incredible, just incredible.
0: So it's not the the communication side of it, right, is uh, keeping the glue together, or, yeah. <laughs> the glue that's keeping it together. That's right.
1: That w- which you know, you'd have to have that same communication, even if even if you're able to meet all entirely in the auditorium when you have a team meeting, uh, but this is multiplied, obviously, because yeah. guys, you know, you have to, you have to always check. You literally have to like, if you, if, if your listeners are familiar with how zoom is, there is always a, a picture of everybody who's on the zoom call. And there are times when, you know, you have to tell the player, make sure you put your video on yeah. just not your avatar. <laughs> you know, put your video on we we want to look you in the eye yeah and uh um so i it's mean it's, it, it's the littlest it's the littlest things but it also has has shown how much detail there is to getting through each day
0: yeah absolutely absolutely well keep up the great work one step right get through today do it right get through right. tomorrow and then uh Get a get a W on Saturday, right? It's got, <laughs> right?
1: you know we all got we all got, you know we all got tested today because this is a bye week. Uh, this will only be a two test week. Okay, um, but we are typically Monday, Wednesday, Friday.
0: Unbelievable, unbelievable! It so it wasn't like this back in the seventies when you were a, a scholar athlete at Xavier High School in Middletown, Connecticut. Give us. Just paint a picture, a sentence or two. What What were you like as a young athlete? What were you? What were some of your strengths? Maybe, and we can talk. You know, talk specific to football, but maybe just in general with regards to kind of. You were a quarterback, so there had to be some leadership involved. Give us a little insight into what uh, a young Jim Hoffer was like as a high school. <laughs>
1: no, I mean you're talking. Don't get yourself that is, in any trouble? <laughs> it's no, 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 no. It's it's so many lifetimes ago and yet it feels like it was last week. <laughs> uh, I loved it. I loved Xavier. I loved everything about it. I, it, was a, it was really a very magical time for us uh, at that time in the 70s. I, I have no doubt that the reason I, I, my life's work has been in college football is because of the incredible experiences I had with others that I love to this day, um, you know, from high school football. And because we had so much success in a unique uh, situation and it really all started with one of the great leaders of my life and that's Larry McHugh. um, Who has shown certainly in his lifetime, his ability to lead, on the smaller scale, you know, high school football players and teams when he was the head coach at Xavier, and then to be such a leader in business in uh, Middlesex County uh, when he chose to step away from football. Um, and, and he's, you know, you can, you can tell somebody how much they have impacted you in your life. And sometimes words just aren't enough. You know they come up short um, but uh, i 'm sure that that what we all had together um, had a had a big impact on my choosing to find a way to stay in football um, when you 're surrounded by good players, you know sometimes you think you 're better than you really are because they 're the ones doing you know, so much of the work, but, and a quarterback is a position that's very dependent upon others. You know, if it's in a, if it's in a passing offense, then he's certainly dependent upon protection and, and everybody who's an eligible receiver. Um, If it's any kind of an option attack, you know, you're dependent upon again, what happens at the line of scrimmage, which is so critical in football on offense or defense. Uh, and then being able to, you know, pitch a ball to a, you know, a great backfield. So uh, we had we certainly had our share of really good, accomplished high school players. Many of whom went on and had outstanding careers in college as well.
0: What? Um, and I, I get to. Say, I wasn't wasn't there obviously when Coach McHugh was there, as Coach McHugh at Xavier High School. But I'm active with the the Chamber, the Middlesex Chamber, and I see Coach at. You know, whether it's a lunch meeting or a breakfast meeting, he's still got that, that fire and that rah-rah from, you know, looking back on your time with, uh, with Coach McHugh as the head coach. What's something from his kind of style of how he coached or how he led young men at the time? What's something that sticks out to, to you as pretty, you know, kind of his biggest attribute as a leader um, from your perspective?
1: Well, you just hit on you just hit on one in particular. Uh, tremendous passion for the lives of the guys that were on the team, regardless of their their level of experience or their ages. Uh, a very confident leader. He knew what he wanted, and he knew what it was supposed to look like, um, because he had experienced success almost from the beginning, if not from the beginning of when Xavier first opened. Yep. You know, and, and your dad, Tony, was a huge part of the beginning of the tradition of success um, by young men uh, and the success in football. And nothing could be more appropriate to learn at a young age is the motto of the high school, which is be a man. Yep. And what all of that should entail to, you know, to learn how to become a man, a responsible, um, capable, professional man, no matter what it is that you choose to do.
0: Yep. So from Xavier High School, it, it, it's a bit of a trip. So you you, you go to Cornell. Which, uh, if you're not familiar, Cornell, what, about six-hour drive,
1: roughly? No, actually, actually, it's about four and a half hours oh, yeah. from Middletown. Uh, I certainly made it long enough to, to figure out how to make it, you know, at four hours and 15 minutes or so, you know.
0: What was it about Cornell that caught your eye that, um, and, you know, what what was the decision like going from, you know, Middletown, Connecticut, and, and making the jump to, to Cornell?
1: Well, it's like with most things in life and especially in football or in sports in general, uh, it's relationship driven. And I, I was fortunate to be able to have, um, we all did because of the successes of the football team and program at Xavier, a lot of college coaches had to come through to make their evaluations of the guys on the team. And, um, so amongst that traffic, uh, I, I developed a, really a very trusting relationship with the recruiting coach uh, who was in charge of recruiting in Connecticut, and um, uh, and that probably had as as big an impact as as anything possibly could have, and I enjoyed it. Um, uh, have built friendships from. You know my time there that that remain to this day, guys that I was in college with 40 years ago or however long it's it was a long time, 41 years I guess that I talk to on a weekly basis. Yeah, you know so relationships beget other relationships.
0: Great. Another great point. Again, a key element of like, when you lead, you're not leading just in this isolated bubble, right? So there's that the connections that you need to make to effectively influence and lead and, and inspire and, and, you know, hold accountable at times too. Um, so another great point right there. You're, you're dropping some, some nuggets already. You know, one step at a time, do it right. And then the importance of relationships. I love it. Um, you graduate nineteen seventy nine, right into as a grad, a grad assistant coaching at Wake. When, right. when did you know that? Hey, I want to I want to tackle this route. I want to get into coaching at the college level. When did you know that? And and how was it an easy decision? I guess to to jump right into coaching when you finished up your undergrad.
1: Well, the reality it was, if I can remember it clearly enough, after the conclusion of my junior football season. So I was still a junior in college, but it was after my junior season, it was clear and evident that there was only one year remaining in my playing career. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, so I wanted to be able to continue to stay in football somehow, had no idea how to do it. Again, had a conversation with that recruiting coach who was still on the staff at that time, and asked him, you know, probed with questions, how does one go about even trying to get into college football from a coaching standpoint? And and he was very helpful, um, uh, and I'm grateful. And he ultimately had an impact. He had a relationship with a coach on the new staff at Wake Forest at that time, uh, and he was able to pry a door open. For me um, to be able to at least be considered as a graduate assistant. And to be a graduate assistant, you know, you have to be prepared to go to grad school and, and be good enough to be admitted. Yep. Uh, and I was probably very borderline to be admitted. Um, but again, that was a relationship which is which exists so much in, especially in the college uh, the college coaching world, um, if you, if you are in it long enough, and I've been very lucky to do so, uh, it's a pretty small world when all is said and done. So that relationship helped me a year, a year and a half later. And and I was actually notified, uh, with an offer to come on the day that I graduated, which was on a Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. That's when Cornell... Always has its graduate so I had no idea. I had no idea until the day I graduated college of what I was going to do, be able to do next. So, and I uh, didn't seem very worried about it at the time, as as I remember.
0: 21, 22 years old, not a care, right? Yep, <laughs> that's, right. that's right. We had. Uh, I had the pleasure of having uh, Coach Kevin Gilbride on uh, mm-hmm. earlier. In um, in the year, and, and he talked a lot about the, you know, when you get into coaching, especially at, at that competitive level, college, you know, professional level, you, you, there's there's going to be some movement. There's going to be you know someone moving on from you, or you moving on from somebody. Give us a little uh, insight into, I guess, some of the leadership challenges you face. And and I was I was looking at at your your resume, and there's just like any other competitive coach a lot of different stops, a lot of different responsibilities how hard was or was that a challenge for you and if so what were some of the things you know kind of internally that level one leadership of self what were some of the things you had to kind of coach yourself through um, throughout your journey uh, at the college and the professional
1: ranks well sometimes the movement particularly early in a coach's career is um, by necessity it is by being able to advance Mm -hmm. Uh, not knowing where the journey is ever going to take you. But, you know, you, you you get a chance to be a GA. Great. You're going to live in poverty, poverty. You're going to work like the Dickens. You you come to find out that no matter what your station is in coaching, you're going to work like a, you know, work like the, like a dog. Yeah. But when you when you're able to go from being a GA to a full time position, that certainly adds responsibility. Uh, You can start to maybe gain some credibility if you do a good job and earn a reputation. Um, A a, a well earned reputation is, is, you know, it's hard to destroy. And a bad reputation is hard to overcome. Yeah. You know, and so no matter, even if you have overcome it, it's still hard to overcome. <laughs> That's so, right. <clears throat> you know, you, you, you just try to keep your nose to the grindstone, so to speak. And and so when I say necessity, you know, going from a GA to a, uh, a first-time full-time job and then, you know, maybe advance to something else. And then when you become good enough, uh, perhaps get more leadership in terms of becoming a coordinator, and then if you're ever lucky enough uh, and in the right place at the right time, uh, if being a head coach is what you aspire to be, um, you know, you, you have to be able to show some variety or diversity, I suppose, in, in your background, in your coaching background, um, you know, so if you're curious about the the job and you're curious about the world, sometimes moving is easy. Then there comes a point where moving can become very difficult when you have started a family and you're now including other people who don't do football uh, (laughs) when you're talking about a wife and children, you know, um, and it takes very, very special, uh, a very special marriage, Um, To be able to do that because there are sacrifices that are made and the sacrifices probably tend to come more from your spouse and your children than they are from you because you just keep merrily bouncing along (laughs) in this coaching, uh, you know, sphere and they're the ones that have to pick up um, and start over. You yeah. know, you immediately you're immediately in a new environment with people that uh, that show interest in you. Whether they ultimately keep their interest in you or not <laughs> remains, you know, you find out after a, a few seasons. But they're gonna they're gonna act like they're interested in you because they've hired you. Yeah. Well, that's not the same with you know spouses and children and my wife Kathy and our and our children. We have three daughters, and so when they were young when they're really young they're easy to move when they start to have minds of their own it really becomes a, a tremendous family challenge and you know you, you have to you have to try to sell here's the good part and here's what we know is the bad part and we're going to we'll all try to help each other through this together and ultimately i think it at least for our family uh, i think it helped our kids socialize it helped them as they would go into a, a totally new environment. Uh, they had to learn how to make friends. They had to learn how to adapt. And Kathy and I are very lucky that they did that and and um, and did it very well. Um, and they have, you know, they're now all highly responsible, totally normal, happy uh, adults. Seemingly happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And- you touched on, I love the
0: fact that you touched on the idea that they, you know, yes, the moves are hard, but the fact that they were able to practice that important life skill of new environment, have to build some relationships, maybe not best friends, but functional relationships. And I, again, I think that's something that's hard for somebody maybe a, a young person who doesn't move around a ton. They right. graduate high school, go to college, and it's not with their buddies from high school. It's this whole new universe. And the same thing happens again when you, Make the jump from college to professional worlds. It sounds like they, they ate up that opportunity to develop, develop that skill, or at least they're reaping the benefit of it now.
1: Well, it's interesting. You know, I grew up and lived at 165 Brown Street in Middletown, <laughs> you know, my entire young life until I left to go to college and then obviously wasn't living at home and then immediately upon graduation had left and, and have never returned to Middletown to live certainly have returned, uh, you know, while, while my parents were alive and, and yet um, and our girls have moved um, with us, but each one of them now has found a place where we would never be surprised if they never moved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who knows? I, I, maybe the damage was done and they just want to, you know, have roots. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they're in positions. They're in, you know, Careers and jobs in which they could very likely stay where they are.
0: That's great. That's great. Tell us. And they, a little... didn't,
1: they did not marry coaches. They, <laughs> they learned a couple of things along the way. Yeah. <laughs> um. What was your first head
0: job? Was at Cornell. Yes. yes. How, and then you had a second head job at Buffalo. That's correct. What was the what was the jump like for you to go from being an assistant, a coordinator and then, you know, you know earning a spot as, as the head coach? How, how difficult of a challenge was that um, uh, for you, if at all?
1: Well, I, I think it's I think anybody who is is in a position to become a head coach for the first time. Um, it is a great challenge as as much as. And most honest coaches would tell you as much as they believe they're ready, um, when you first start out in that new position, there are things that come at you that maybe you hadn't thought about. um, And you've got to have some real practical common sense to deal with them. And then you also have to be willing to really dig deep and be a curious learner to find out to get answers for things that you didn't have an answer for. Yeah. I I can remember very clearly um, when when I was first hired at at Cornell. um, And it might've been the very first day I was there. uh, And the AD who hired me, uh, you know, came over to the office after a press conference, or he was in the press conference, but then walked back with me back to my office, And he started to tell me a little bit about, like, human resources. And here's what you can say, and here's what you cannot ask when you're interviewing candidates. I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, I mean, I I felt like I knew enough football and had experienced a lot, even though I was very young at the time. I was 32 years old. Wow. Wow. But I would never have thought about some of the things that he mentioned from a human resources standpoint, um, you know, that that have to be avoided, uh, at least at that time, and it's probably even more so now.
0: List is probably a little longer now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, the list very well may be longer. You probably have to hold it in front of you. And, you know, when you're talking to somebody, which could be very awkward. But uh, so you, you learn as you go. And uh, I think people that, that, that want to learn, like to learn, are going to become better at virtually anything that they do, whether it's coaching or any walk of life. If you're a lifelong learner and you have curiosity, uh, you'll find your answers, or at least you'll find out what fits you the yep. best. Yep, great. What and
0: we've had a bunch of I've had a bunch of college and, and high school coaches on, and and like I said, Coach Gilbride too, as well. Um, one of the things that comes up and, and different sports too, not just football. So we've had soccer, we've had baseball, wrestling. One of the things that's come up and all of these people, most of them have have been both assistants and then head coaches. A lot of them talked about the difference when you're a coordinator or an assistant, you're coaching your position, you're coaching your guys up, and then you become a head coach. And it's like, I don't, I don't do much football stuff specifically, but it's all this other stuff that you don't think of when you're a coordinator or an assistant and obviously you touched on the HR side of that. How, how did you handle that adjustment going from, you know, coaching your position, coaching your guys to, you know, more of that CEO type uh, mentality?
1: Well, you, you learn as you go yeah. and you, you have to be, you do have to be organized. You have to have a, you know, that part of your life really does have to be compartmentalized. Uh, you know, the team, the staff, the strategy, uh, recruiting, um, the non football staff that you have to interact with on a, on a literally on a daily basis. You, you just have to be organized. You have to accept the fact that you're dependent upon others for accurate information. Um, and and you, you have to always keep in mind that, you know, at the top of all this, are the players not at the bottom of all this at the top of all this are the players. And so there, there is a humility that if you don't have it, you better develop it because understand that that's who you're in this business for is to develop. If you're in college is, you know, the development um, of the guys that, that choose to join your program because you recruited them, you asked them, or you allowed them to come in, and they—they um, they have to be at the at the, you know, the front of your mind in virtually everything that you do.
0: That's Great, that's a lead, lead, leading uh, in serving others, right? It's a.
1: That's well. That that's right.
0: Yeah, that's it transcends right. transcends what you do, whether it's coaching or, or uh, in in you know an industry. That's right. Um, what do you look for What over your career? What What do you look for outside of like the measurables? You can You can measure 40-yard dash. You can measure, you know, how much somebody benches and, and, and their agility and all that good stuff. What do you look for uh, from uh, you know, characteristics or traits in athletes that are like those separators? Those things like this is a guy, you know, yes, he's a great athlete, but this is a guy I want in my program. What are some of those things that you look for in a recruit or, or an athlete that – serves as a separator.
1: Well, in, you know, in, in recruiting, you you certainly meet a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. You meet different high school coaches. You meet, uh, and especially if you recruit across a broad geographic spectrum, yep. um, you, you meet a lot of people. You meet a lot of players. At some point, you start to draw your conclusions, and you start to develop a compass or a radar which and experience as a coach to start to focus in on the guys that are ultimately going to succeed in the kind of program that you run you know two coaches run two different programs yeah all you got to deal with is your program and do you have a program is is it has it taken off? And I'm not talking about wins and losses, but do you have a program? And for for, for me as a head coach, I mean, and this probably sounds bad, but it was just avoid, I'll, I'll use the word jerks, yep. you know, avoid jerks because in, in our business and in our world, we're going to be with them every day. So the the maybe the, the biggest litmus test is do you do you appreciate and enjoy being around this guy, regardless of his talent? Do you like being around this guy? And do you think he enjoys being around you and your program? Yeah. Because if the answer to both of those questions is yes, then regardless of his talent, he's gonna develop to whatever his ceiling is. Because you're gonna give him everything you got. And you're probably going to pull out of him everything he's got. Yep. If you've got to beg a guy to be on time. You made the mistake. He didn't. So it, you, you gauge, you know, in this, in our world, and recruiting rules have changed over the years to providing even less and less time for college coaches to be around players. But you you have to have a pretty good gauge on – I can see this guy succeeding and here's why. Yeah. You know, he's he's enjoyable to be around. It's not, man, I can tolerate his nonsense because he can really run fast. Why do that? Why tolerate when you can enjoy, you know, somebody who's got good So you're talking about character, you're talking about somebody who's probably got enthusiasm, you are yep. probably talking about somebody who you believe is honest, who is not going to fool you, and it you' you're never you're never going to be a hundred percent right no because humans are not you know they're imperfect, but man oh man if you if you if your radar tells you this guy's going to fit with how we coach and what we do, provided that he's at least got some of the talent that you're talking about, you know a five eight 170 seventy pound center just because he's a great guy, you know, it is going to cut it. But (laughs) if he's he's an inch shorter than what you think a guy should be, and if he's 10 pounds lighter at that moment than what he should be, but if he's got so many of the other things that would indicate, give him time, give him meals, give him maturity, another birthday, uh, and he'll fit in then you go with it and you can't you can't blink with stuff like that and and yeah. you know character matters and trustworthiness matters and and you know a go getter that matters matters a lot and i mean it's
0: interesting too and again this is that's been a great great answer and it's been a common answer with some of the other the the college and, and, and higher level coaches and you know it's what I think a lot of high school student athletes don't realize it's like what you do in the classroom may or may not physically make you a better athlete, but your ability to to do it right, you know, do it right in the classroom, to be honest in the classroom, if you can do it there, it's going to translate and coaches are looking for that.
1: (laughs) You know, you can find out along the way, the high school C student who does everything humanly possible and gets a C, that guy will succeed. Yep. It's the, it's the, the A talent that gets C's that fools you. Yep. Because yep. that's a con, you know? And we, we have to really, so recruiting and evaluation is very much detective work.
0: Yep.
1: For, for a recruiting coach. You know, and and we'll do even with the collegiate student athlete, because we we have so much more oversight over them. Uh, whether it's tutors, whether it's class checks, you name it. When a guy goes to class and he's on time for his tutors and he does everything possible, and if he gets Cs, we can live with that. Yeah, we can live with that, and that guy's probably going to succeed in football to whatever his talent level will allow him to because he's doing everything he possibly can.
0: And it gets back to something you said earlier on that we both touched on, that that idea of control the controllable. And I think, you know, people are drawn to sports because every time a game starts and a whistle blows, no one knows what the heck the outcome is going to be, right? right? And there's a chance you're going to lose, there's a chance you're going to win, and all you can do, can we be our best for 60 minutes? Well, you know,
1: once... Once a play is over, you can't change it. Once a right. call is made by an official, I've never seen them change a call yet. Um, they tried to do on, that in the NFL. It didn't go through. Yeah. Well. The referees yeah, are too
0: stubborn. They keep the flag in their pocket. Yeah.
1: <laughs> except on, now, occasionally replay will change it, but that's now you're introducing technology. But uh, once the play is done, yeah. it's done. You've you got to be prepared to move on to the next one. And if, if you failed in your assignment, you can't change it. Fix it on the next one.
0: Yep, that's right. What, uh, what advice uh, would you share? In, again, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to Connecticut specifically because high school football in Connecticut this year is going to be different if it, if it happens at all. And obviously kids are trying to get recruited and move on to play at the next level if that's, if that's the dream that they're chasing down. What advice would you have for a high school football player, a high school athlete in general right now who has maybe lost a season or two seasons, but still, you know, they're still hoping to chase down that dream of playing at the college level?
1: Well, I I feel for all the kids across the land, Connecticut and otherwise, who have not been able to play, especially if they are seniors who have not been able to play. The best thing they can do is – be ready so that they don't have to get ready. And by that, I mean, train, video it, send it to coaches, um, be consistent. You know, you can be consistent without being persistent, but get ready. Then you don't, then if an opportunity comes if all of a sudden they get to play four games or five games, they're ready. Yeah. they don't have to now say, "Uh oh, I'm <laughs> um, I'm not ready." And because you don't get ready to play football in ten days. No, you just. I mean, you you have to you have to have been working on being ready. Yeah. And, and so and that's that's hard to do for anybody when there's an unknown, when there is no target on the calendar. You know, that's hard. But a guy who's a competitor and, and you know who's fit and works at staying fit um, is gonna is gonna be ready sooner. Yeah. Put it that way.
0: He's gonna make his own targets, right? He's gonna make those, you know, it's That's not right. about getting ready for a season or this game. It's this is my That's target. Right. I'm gonna get there and then make a new one and continue to push. Yeah. And
1: there's and there's no there is no easy road to being physically fit. There's no easy road to being mentally ready. There's no easy road to understanding um, you know, an offense or a defense and the calls that are made. And you know, I'm sure high school coaches. Find a way to be able to zoom with their players and and keep them updated on the playbook yep. and what could happen and um, and it's up to the player to have enough initiative to go beyond that and study on his own.
0: Great and
1: similar question
0: for so you've been in coaching for forty years ish, yep. give or take.
1: This is forty two years involved
0: in college football unbelievable unbelievable it's a it's a heck of a career a heck of a path what again someone who's a veteran in the industry what's something uh, a bit of wisdom you would give to uh, 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 a lady or gentleman who's looking to enter into the coaching ranks as a career choice
1: oh boy it's uh you you have to love it um it's a lifestyle it's not a job Mm -hmm. Lifestyle meaning it will it will dominate your life uh, sometimes even health in an unhealthy way yeah with the time commitment um, but it's it is a lifestyle you need to love to be with people um, you, you 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 need to enjoy the competition you need to be humble enough to know that that there's so much more to learn. What what I've learned over the long haul is that the more I learn, the more I'm able to assess what's the right question to ask. Yep. If that makes sense. Sometimes you don't even know what's the right, when you're young, you don't know the right question to ask to be able to advance to be able to learn, to be able to fit it into the situation that you don't have an answer for. And I think experience starts to give you the best idea, what are the right questions to ask? And you're always asking questions. If you're curious, whether it's about football, whether it's about living, you know, you're curious about life, I think experience allows you to maybe get to an answer faster because you, you more readily know the right question to ask.
0: Oh, that's great. And you've touched on this a bunch of times too, but the concept of being a lifelong learner, being somebody that's constantly yeah. looking to, to add to that. And that's another great lesson that, again, applies to football, but applies to really anything outside of football as well.
1: Oh, I'm, you know, my, our, our girls think I'm a nerd, and I, <laughs> so I guess I am um because I'm always springing something on them you know or asking them something or did you know Uh, so (laughs) well ladies and gentlemen we're on the home stretch here
0: this is coach Jim Hoffer he's currently a defensive analyst with Wake Forest um an extensive coaching career and uh just doing it uh, doing it for the right reasons, doing it very well. And he's on the Lead with Empower podcast. Uh, Coach, again, I appreciate you being on. You're on the finish line here. We got a couple quick hitters for you.
1: Okay. Oh, boy.
0: This is where it starts to get a little. <laughs> <laughs> um, childhood inspiration and why?
1: Um, probably, uh, you know, my, my folks, I think with a lot of people. Uh, when you're young, you know those are the those are the biggest adults in your life.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, for for certainly when I was growing up, uh, my dad uh, was a blue collar worker and always always had two full time jobs. Wow. He always had so he was a a very hard working man. Uh, my mother was always working, but kept you know, tight with, with our home and our upbringing. Um, And so I would have to say at least uh, what I appreciate, what I, what I learned to appreciate after being an adult, I didn't know this at the time when I was certainly younger, is the trust and the rope, the length of the rope they gave to me. That's great, great and meeting. I appreciate that now. When I didn't know it at the time, Yep. but yep. they, I appreciate the trust that they that they showed, whether it was justified or not. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of times in Middletown when they should not have trusted me. You have pulled it back in, ran them back in. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, a,
0: a student athlete. And it could be someone currently, or someone that you know uh, that you cross paths with across your career, a student athlete that you you looked at and you're like, wow, I don't, I don't care what this guy goes on to do, he's going to knock it out of the park.
1: Well, uh, it's it's interesting because I I had a text from uh, from this man uh, within the past two weeks. We share a birth date. Okay. Uh, he is from Middletown. He and I began playing um, midget football together for the Middletown Mustangs at that oh time. And that's Anthony Brown. Anthony really? Brown was perhaps to this day as good a tailback. And I've obviously looked at players for the last 42 years. He was as good a high school tailback as my eyes ever saw. Wow. And um, – uh, I, I, I love him. Um, he was a Xavier and a state of Connecticut phenom. Yep. He really, really was. Um, you know, and then there's, there's certainly others along the way when you do this long enough and coach long enough, you know, there become special people in your life. Um, some who remain in football, some who don't, two, two I can think of in particular that I coached, had uh, fabulous careers, uh, fabulous in college, one in professional football, and he has continued to be a model, an example of, of doing the right thing uh, and still remaining humble. Uh and that's a guy by the name of Daryl Johnston, who most people would recognize as the moose. That's right. Dallas Cowboys. He was never the moose in college when I coached at Syracuse. <laughs> uh, he was simply DJ. Yep. And he was a sensational college and professional football player. And he's been a, a loyal friend uh to this day. And um we had a quarterback when I was at Cornell by the name of Bill Laser which is a great last name for a quarterback. It is. Especially one who's accurate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Bill was a, uh, a great college player. He then got his coaching start on our staff at Cornell. He now serves as the offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. Yep. He's one of my closest friends in coaching. Um, you know, and he's the same guy today, as is Daryl, as when they were in college in the eighties and the nineties. Awesome. Awesome. What, um,
0: a non football related book that has re- has had an impact on you.
1: I, I think the, you know, it's a very common, I don't know if you put it under self-help or, or, you know, business entrepreneurship or leadership it was good to great. Um, and, there is a piece in good to great that describes first who then what Mm -hmm. and that applies so much in my opinion to evaluating to evaluating football players first who is the guy Mm -hmm. you know we'll figure out what he plays we'll figure it out together with him but it's the who Because if he's made up of the right stuff internally, mentally, emotionally, then we can figure out the physical stuff. But that particular short little saying um, has always, I think stands the test of time.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, coach crushed it, knocked it out of the park Thank you so, re- serious I really appreciate it. Uh, in season to get a college coach to spend an hour on uh, on a Zoom in season. Man, <laughs> not the easiest of tasks. Really appreciate it. And it. Gets again gets back to relationships. Just recently, a coach's roundtable. Uh, 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 Xavier, he was a couple years ahead of me. who's coaching up at Bowdoin College. Kevin Loney texted me. I'm going to see Coach Hall for tonight on this on this thing. You want me to see if he'd be interested? I say, yeah, absolutely, great. So relationships 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 and fig- i love that last statement there it's the best High, figure out the who figure right. out the who yep uh, beautiful well ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining the lead with empower podcast you just heard from coach jim hoffer he leads with empower be safe just like his athletes are doing make the right decision do it again the next time. Do it, in the, uh, do it again the next time. And at some point, you will get to the finish line and enjoy the reward. Thanks for tuning in. We'll check you out next time. Coach, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you, Dan. I truly enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon.
0: Great leadership may look and sound different. However, there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.